Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives, and check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. If you are enjoying this podcast, please follow us using your favorite podcast software. Today's episode of Philo Vance was provided by Radio Archives. Radio Archives Radio Archives produces high-quality old-time radio collections, pulp fiction reprint ebooks, as well as high-quality pulp fiction audiobooks. And they'd like to give you a sample of each of the three products. Just send an email to detectives at radioarchives.com to receive these transfers. Also, over the years, they have collected 36,000 transcription discs from the golden age of radio and used them in various uh, projects. And now they are donating the discs themselves to a museum and they are making the files, the transfers from those discs, available to subscribers at a rate of 600 uh, transfers per month. So you get 600 different files that were directly transferred from transcription discs. And if you're my listener, you can try this service out for $59.98. You get the first batch of 600 files. And if you enjoy it and you think, I'd like to hear more of this and get the full collection, you can subscribe for $60 per month, which is 50% off the usual rate. And regardless of whether you subscribe or not, the $59.98 for the trial goes directly to support the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. So check that out over at transfers.greatdetectives.net. Well, now it's time for this week's episode of Philo Vance. The original air date, June the 6th, 1950, and the title is The Alibi Murder Case. Hello, Markham. Vance. Glad you could make it here at my office. And very glad you got here just now. What's the big mystery, Markham? Why did you want me here at exactly 11 o'clock at night? I'm not sure this whole thing isn't a gag of some kind, Vance, but if it isn't, I can promise you some excitement. Well, district attorneys are famous for keeping their promises. (laughs) I'm glad I came. I hope you will be. What's up? Vance... I found a message on my desk this evening indicating I could expect a phone call at 11 o'clock tonight that might save somebody's life. Mm. That's what we're waiting for. Well, that's fine with me. I don't know anything I'd rather do. It's one minute after 11, though. Perhaps somebody else did a little life-saving. Well, perhaps we'll wait a few... Hold everything, Vance. Yes, of course. This is Attorney Markham speaking. Markham, this is John Green, Whitmere Apartments. You got my message. About saving your life? Oh, yes. Just what is all this, Green? It's terrible. I... Oh, what's I, the trouble, man? I, I... I can't talk to you right now. Goodbye. What? Vance, did you hear that? I certainly did. Hand me that phone book next to you. Yeah, sure. Thanks. He said his name was Green. John Green. Windmere Apartments. Green. Green. Fine. Oh, yes. Here we are. Green. 
Tell Green if he's in trouble, we can be over there in ten minutes. All right, Vance. Hello. Uh, Green, this is Markham again. Now listen, Philo, Vance, and I are on the way over there. We'll be at your house in ten minutes. No, no, don't come if you try to... Green. Green. He doesn't answer, Vance. Let's get over to his place right away. Apparently, somebody shot him while he was talking to you. Markham, you've just eavesdropped on a murder. Most of the night and all the morning, Eddie. They say my husband was killed at 11 o'clock or a couple of minutes after. And they insisted on knowing where I was. Yes, we figured they would. You told them? Oh, I'm course. afraid you two uh, were talking much too loudly. After all, this is a public library, and some people come here to read, you know. Sorry. Don't be sorry. Just lower your voices, if you please. Lucy, the only thing you have to worry about is losing your head. You have a perfect alibi for 11 o'clock. So have I. Indeed we do. We were both seen by different people in different places at 11. And the police are certain your husband was shot at that time. I know, Eddie. Well, you were very clever. But, well, how did you do it? We won't go into it now. All you have to do is sit tight and nobody will come near, either you or me. I killed John, but nobody will ever be able to prove it. Well, you don't have to worry about me. I love you too much and you're too close to me right now for me to do anything that would hurt us. Remember what I said? Yeah. All you have to do is take it easy. Right now, I'm going over to play gin with young Bill Stedman. You go home and make like... I'm very sorry, but you oh. two will either have to stop talking so loud or leave. This is a library, and people do come I'm here... I'm here to read. I know. Mm-hmm. It's, it's all right. We're just leaving. Well... We've done everything we wanted to do. I do mean everything. <laughs> You keep shuffling the cards, Bill, and you'll rub the spots off them. What's your hurry, Eddie? The sooner you deal them out, the sooner we get the game going. Oh, and the sooner you win more of my money, huh? Look, any time you want to quit, kid, it's okay with me. I'm hooked almost $500. I'll keep playing. Oh, I was just figuring how much you've won from me in the past month. How much? Over $7,000. You can afford it. Yeah? And if you can't, you shouldn't have played. Nobody hit you on the head and made you play gin with me. I wish somebody had hit me on the head before I started. You want that card? It's a diamond. no use for it. Take another one. Eddie, uh, how about doubling the stakes? Nothing doing. You get out the way you got in. Anything to give me a break, huh? Anything. Maybe... Maybe you aren't so smart, friend. Hmm? Maybe I know a way to get some of my money back. What's with that kind of talk? Well, suppose the police knew that you and the wife of the guy who was shot last night, that John Green, were pretty friendly. Don't be a baby. So I know Lucy. I knew the guy, too, didn't I? I rented my apartment from them a year ago. Let's keep this game going. I'll knock with three. That's good. Oh. Three queens, three sevens, three jacks. That's three. I have no layoffs. Well, I got eight, eighteen, twenty-four. 
Wait a minute. What's the matter? Those other cards you have palmed in your hand. You've been cheating me. Don't be a dope. I have no cards in my hand. You just dropped them on the floor. I saw you, and I'm going to find it. You're out of your head. Don't stop choking. Stop her out. And if you want to play that way, okay. Little boys with too much money shouldn't get suspicious if they get hurt. Get up, Bill, and pay me off. I'll get up, all right, and, and you'll get paid off, too. One way or another. Vance, are you a private investigator, aren't you? Take it easy, Mr. Stedman. As far as I know, I am a private investigator. Good, then do something. I came up to tell you that the police are looking for the man who killed John Green, and I know who it is. So you said, or should I say, shouted. Well, all I can say now is that you're a whole lot overrated, Vance. You're supposed to be the guy who can spot a murderer with his eyes closed. Most murderers don't walk around with their eyes closed. You know what I mean. Yet, here I am, coming to you with a perfect case, motive and all, and you're not taking me seriously. Of course I am. Now, look, Bill, I know your mother, I know you. She's spoiled you a little. You've had too much money and too little supervision. But don't think you can come up here and order me around. Okay, okay, Vance. Just answer one thing. I told you Edward Lee had a crush on John Green's wife. I told you Lee carried a gun and has a bad reputation. Why don't you investigate him? For a very simple reason. The medical examiner placed the time of Green's death between 10.30 and 11.30. As a matter of fact... District Attorney Markham was talking on the phone to Green at a minute or so after 11 when he heard the shots that killed him. And Edward Lee was with neighbors on his floor, completely legitimate neighbors who say he was with them at one minute after 11. Now, are you satisfied? No. Well, the police are. Lee has an absolute alibi. Oh, he has, has he? Yes. Well, all I can tell you is, if you think he has, then you're not as smart as people think you are, and Eddie Lee is a whole lot smarter. I'm Philo Vance. You are. And you've come to see me? How nice. You're Edward Lee? That's right. You're the guy who just pushed his way in here. That's right. Go over there and sit down. I'll be through working out in a minute or so. Oh, go right ahead. You won't disturb me. I just have some facts to find out. Like what? Pretty good left hand you have there, Lee. For a right-handed person, that is. How do you know I'm right-handed. Your belt buckle, it's on the right side. Most people wear their buckles in the center. When they don't, a left-handed person has the buckle near his left hand. And, and... a right-handed person near his right hand. So I'm right-handed. That's what you came up to find out? Hardly. I want to know how well you knew John Green. That again. I didn't know him well at all. I rented this apartment from him about a year ago. He took another place upstairs in the building. You did know his wife? Sure. She was here when I rented the joint. Uh, what's it to you, Vance? What makes all you characters so curious? All of us characters? Sure, characters, busybodies. Guys that can't mind their own business. Guys like you. Somebody killed John Green, okay? He's dead. How do you figure to help him? I figure to stop somebody else sometime from murdering a person because they'll remember that Green's killer was caught. So far as I can see, Green's killer is going free. You've got nothing on anybody, including and especially me. So how about getting out of here before I go to work on you instead of that bag? 
I'd rather enjoy any effort you made to throw me out of here. Oh, you'd enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Well, I never let it be said that I'm a bad host. Never let it be said that I didn't see to it you had a good time. You haven't worked on that punching bag long enough to take care of you. Well, that, as the saying goes, is that... Perhaps the tip I got from young Bill Stedman about you, Lee, wasn't correct. What, but What tip was that? That you killed Green. Anyhow, I did have a good time this afternoon, so thank you very much for the entertainment. And Lee... Yeah? You must come over and see me sometime. <laughs> Down, Lucy. I don't want that librarian to come over here and warn us again. I do want to talk to you. I'll be careful. Well, what's been happening? Shh. Bill Stedman got sore because I beat him in a couple of card games, and he went to file Vance and told Vance I killed your husband. Oh, he didn't. Well, he did, all right. Oh. Vance was over at my place to find out a little more about me. Oh, well, what do you care, Eddie? You got an alibi that nobody will be able to crack. You were with your next-door neighbor at a minute after 11. Yeah, sure, but you know I gimmicked everything. Shh, please. I know you did, but I don't know how you did it. Oh, Eddie, you're wonderful. Cut it out, the librarian. Oh, I don't care about her. I only care about us, about you and me now that John's out of the way. Quit that, will you? Cut it out. Oh, you two are oh. it. Don't you realize how loud talking distracts the others here in this library? Okay, okay, we'll be quiet. You'd better. You're disturbing the others. Well, it isn't only the others he's disturbing. He's also disturbing me. Shh, please. Here you are, Markham. Get your skeleton key back. Right, Vance. Uh, get the light switch, will you? Right. Uh, this is pretty risky business, Vance, breaking into an apartment. Breaking in, Markham? Yes. We didn't break in. We used a key, just as Mrs. Green would use a key if she came home right this minute. <laughs> Besides, who could arrest the district attorney? Vance, it's remarkable how your logic can sound so good, even though both of us know you're ad-living. Now that we're here, tell me what we're doing. All right. You've heard of hunches. Uh, yes. Yes, they're the thing a fictional detective always follows... When he can't find a clue. Do you have one? No, not at all. This is the spot where I should have one, though, if that logic of mine, which you seem to like, wasn't functioning. Which means? That there's a tie-up between Green's widow and Edward Lee. Lee is very smug and very sure of himself. Mm -hmm. His apartment is six floors down, but a visit here might result in our finding something that will connect him with the crime. Now, this is the room where Green's body was found uh, at the telephone. A gun inches away from his hand, but not the gun that killed him. In other words, when you called him back from your office, he answered the phone while holding a gun on somebody in the room. Vance, is it possible that my call distracted him so that the murderer had a chance to shoot? I'd hate to think that. I don't believe that's what happened. Now, Markham, look through this desk, will you? I'm going into Mrs. Green's room to see what I can find. All right. Uh, if you see anything that's even remotely interesting, make sure... Oh! Markham! What happened? Markham! Markham! Markham, are you hurt badly? Oh, where's that phone? Operator. Operator, Russian ambulance to the Windmere Apartments. The district attorney's been shot, and I'm afraid he's badly hurt.
This is Philo Vance. District Attorney Markham was shot about an hour ago as he and I were looking through the apartment of John Green, who had been murdered the day before. Both of our suspects, Mrs. Green and a man named Edward Lee, have alibis for around 11 o'clock, the time we believe the murder was committed. Markham has been taken to the hospital, and I am about to go into his room now to see how serious... The nurse said I could stay only a few moments. How do you feel? Not bad. The bullet just grazed my side, I've been told. Uh, I guess somebody didn't want us at the green apartment, Vance. Oh, I don't know. Nobody fired at me. Well, then somebody didn't want me there, let's say. <laughs> Somehow I'd have preferred being told I wasn't wanted. Can't blame you for that. I'll tell you something, Markham. I got on the telephone and called Edward Lee after I'd done what I could for you while I was waiting for the ambulance. Did you reach him? No. And then Lee may have shot me. Yes. It could have been Mrs. Green, of course, or it might have been somebody else. Someone I've overlooked. Who's that? Bill Stedman. That wealthy young man who came to my office insisting that Edward Lee killed John Green. Oh. Perhaps we've been on the wrong track. Right at the moment, I don't particularly care, Vance. All I care about is getting out of this hospital so we can work together on this case. You just stay here and rest. I'll stay here, of course, until the doctors say I can go. But I don't know how I can rest with a murder unsolved. In that case, Markham, and in view of the fact that we started this investigation together and it must be continued, let's say that you remain here and leave the rest to me. <laughs> I, I, I want to talk can't. to you. Mother, I, I've got to go. I've got an appointment. What kind of an appointment? To gamble again? Who, me? Don't lie to me, William. I've known about your gambling for some time. Any day now, I expect to pick up a paper and read William Stedman, Jr., wealthy young playboy, arrested in gambling raid. I won't have that, William. I don't go to gambling houses. I know you haven't been going to them, but I know you've been gambling, and I know you've been losing. The bank called up and said you were overdrawn. They read me the amounts of the checks you've been giving somebody named Edward Lee, and before that, to someone named John Green. Well, I had a little bad luck, Mom. Little? You had a lot of bad luck. And you're going to stop gambling right this minute. But I don't always lose. Look. Here, look. Take a look. See? All this money? What? I haven't deposited it, but I won it. From whom? From John Green, just before he was murdered. The John Green who was murdered? Is, is that the man you were playing with? <laughs> Why not? But I won this money from him while he was still alive. Did you, William? Did you win it from him while he was alive, or did you take it from him after you killed him? Thank you for coming down here to Markham's office with me, Mrs. Green. That's all right. I believe you'll want to be with me when I find out something, if I find it out. Well, what are you looking for? Some indication of who killed your husband, of course. Oh. Well, Vance... I have a confession to make. I know. You know? I think so. You shot Mr. Markham, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, but how did you know it was? Rather simple. You realize Markham isn't seriously hurt, and I certainly didn't expect you to confess your husband's murder, so what else could it be? I didn't mean to shoot Markham. I came home, saw somebody bending over the desk, and thought it was a burglar. He carried a gun, so I shot then when I heard you call Mr. Markham's name, I, I knew I'd made a mistake. So I ran out. Well, thank you for telling me, Mrs. Green. I'm sure we'll be able to straighten out the situation. 
Now, would you mind coming in here to Markham's office with me? Not at all. Thank you. Well, here we are. Now, I want you, Mrs. Green, to be me. You want what? I beg your pardon? Sit here in this chair. Now, I'm going to pretend to be Markham and also pretend this is the night your husband was killed. I'm at the desk when the phone rings. Uh-huh. Markham picks it up. And a voice says, I'm John Green, Windmere Apartments, I'm in trouble, and so forth and mm-hmm. so on, and hangs up. Markham told me what happened, then went through the phone book here looking for your number. Well, I'll tell you the number. It's Clover 61561. Oh, is it? Well, Markham then dialed the number. <laughs> of course, you know there won't be any answer. There's no one at my house. You'll see. I'm trying to do exactly what Markham did the night your husband was shot, remember? Mm-hmm. They're ringing, Mrs. Green. Well, no one will answer. I imagine that's so. Well. Hello? Hold the phone. Well, there's somebody in my house. Well, who could it be? I'll let you know in a moment. Hello, who is this? Donnelly, 23rd Precinct. I'm on duty here. Who's this? Oh, I'm sorry, Donnelly. This is Philo Vance. Please excuse this call. Right. It was a police officer. Oh. Uh... Mrs. Green. Yep. I've just had an idea, a very brilliant idea. Well, if you say so yourself. And you said so yourself. So I did. Yeah. Now, I'm going to see if Mr. Markham is well enough to come over here and promise him as a reward that I know who killed your husband and how his killer could have a perfect alibi. I'll be all right, Donnelly. Sure you will, sir. Thank you for helping me here to my office. It's no trouble at all, Mr. Markham. Uh, there we are. Well, you're sitting down now, so you shouldn't feel too badly. I feel fine. All I really needed was Philo Vance's request to come down here. Uh, what's this on my desk? What is it? Oh, it's a note from Vance. It says, call John Green's house. Well, if Vance says so, I'll do it. Would you hand me that phone book, please? Sure thing. There you are, D.A. I called Green's number the night he was killed, but I don't remember it. Let me see. Here we are. Green, Green. Uh, John Green, Windmere Apartments. That's it. Uh, what's supposed to happen after you call the number? I don't have the slightest idea, Donnelly, but I'll know in just a minute. Hello, Vance speaking. This is Markham Vance. Well, how do you feel? All right, but why did you want me to call? Where am I? Where are... Where are you? Well, look, Vance, I'm the one that was shot, remember? You're at John Green's place, of course. I just looked up your number in the phone book. But I'm not Markham. You're not? No, I'm in Edward Lee's apartment, six floors below Green's. And I'm quite certain I can prove he killed Green. Lee's upstairs in the Green apartment now. I'm going up and have a showdown with him. You see, Lee, that's how you arranged the entire setup. Is that right? It's very apparent to me why you did it, of course. As an alibi for your whereabouts at the time we thought Green was killed. You're pretty smart, Vance. Oh, he told me in Markham's office he was brilliant. He can hit and he can think. That's a tough combination to beat. Thank you. Okay, Vance, I'll I'll tell you the truth. I did kill Green. But Eddie... Oh, what's the difference, kid? Uh, he knows I wouldn't have set up that alibi gimmick if I hadn't killed him. But... Vance, it it was self-defense, and I have a witness to prove it. Mrs. Green. Yes. Yes, that's right. I'm listening. Well, it was this way. I 
I was up here in Green's apartment. The radio was on. I was dancing with Mrs. Green. Right, Lucy? Oh, yes, 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 it is. You see, Vance? Mm Mm-hmm. Anyhow, I was dancing with Mrs. Green. Her husband came in, saw us, and yanked out a gun. I never even thought about what I was doing. In fact, the whole thing happened so fast, I never even took my hand from around Mrs. Green. Uh, Right, Lucy? Right, Eddie. I pulled my gun and shot before he could. That's my story, Vance. It is, eh? That's right. You found Green's gun next to his body, and it's a story that Lucy will back up. It was self-defense. Mm-hmm. Well, I admit I planted the alibi that you broke, that I, I rigged up that telephone stunt, but I did it because I was scared. You can really start getting scared now, Lee. What? I can break your self-defense story in a minute. Oh, you're You're nothing. right-handed. If you were dancing and you still had your arm around Mrs. Green, how could you pull a gun? With your left hand? Well, that's what I thought. Another thing, that telephone idea of yours took a little time to plant. You had to do that the afternoon of the night you were going to kill Green. And if that's not premeditation, I don't know what is. You're nuts. You're coming with me, both of you. But Why, you can't. And then I'm going to explain to Markham just how your telephone gimmick worked. from the beginning, Vance. Well, the beginning was a year ago when Edward Lee rented the Greens' apartment in the Windmere building. Mm-hmm. When the Greens lived in the place, they had a telephone, and naturally, the telephone book listed their name and number. Then they moved to another apartment in the same building. What happened to the number? It was changed. The number they had, Edward Lee now has. Uh-huh. If you look up Lee's name in the new phone book, you'll find it has the same phone number as the Greens used to have. I see what happened now. I looked up Greens' number after the call came into my office... And happened to look it up in the old phone book so that I was really calling the number that now is in Lee's apartment. Exactly. Except that you didn't happen to look it up in an old book. What do you mean? Lee was here the afternoon of the murder and left an old book in place of the one in your office. What? That could be done without exciting any suspicion. Yes, I imagine so. If my secretary's back were turned, or if it were done surreptitiously, I'll grant you no one would notice. After that, it was easy for Lee. He killed Mm. Green at 10.30 in Green's apartment. Then he went to his own apartment and called you, put on his act... He went next door to his neighbors to establish his alibi. The medical examiner did say Green was killed between 10.30 and 11.30. But having heard that shot on the telephone, the one that Lee apparently faked, I was certain the murder took place at a minute after 11 o'clock. And so was I. Lee tried to get away with saying it was self-defense. But too much detail had to be established in advance of the killing for it to be anything but murder. No question about that. All the things like my being alerted for something to happen at 11 o'clock, a phone call that was cut short abruptly so that I'd call back, Yes, it was all too well planned. Well planned, Markham, but not too well planned, or it might have succeeded. How do you mean? That stunt of using the telephone to establish an alibi was unusual, but it could be figured, and I figured it. <laughs> you certainly did. Vance, you told me Mrs. Green was the one who fired at me. Did she mean to kill me? I think she was honest about believing there was a burglar in her apartment, and that's why she fired. But she's an accessory to the crime of killing her husband, so... You have her on that charge. It seems to me that, thanks to you, Vance, she and Edward Lee have reached the end of their trail. That's fair enough, my friend, inasmuch as we've reached an end, too. The end of the alibi murder case. Thank <laughs> you.
to be reassuring to the wife that he'd smooth things over so that he wouldn't get prosecuted for shooting the district attorney thinking he was an intruder in her home because he was an intruder in her home. That whole conversation where Hans is talking about how nobody's going to arrest them because Markham is district attorney, and then she's kind of chuckling a bit about it. Might have been good there for someone to say, uh, are we sure we're the good guys? Uh, this is a series that, you know, has had so many odd moments that it's hard to buy too much into them getting all dramatic after Markham gets shot. Injury didn't seem that serious, he said he was only grazed, but he was hurt so bad that he couldn't narrate. And when you get injured so that you can't narrate, I mean, that right there is a serious injury. As to the solution involving the murderer sneaking into the district attorney's office and putting last year's phone book in... Well, I mean, you cannot go into a New York district attorney's office and swap out his phone book, even in the 1950s. I mean, I couldn't get into the Ada County prosecutor's office and swap the, uh, the phone book. There's just no nonchalant way to do that if you don't have any business being there. I don't think we're to the point where we have listeners who don't understand what phone books were. I think even relatively young people understand that these things exist. Because as long as businesses continue to pay to advertise in these things, they'll still be around. But for those who don't understand how dependent people were back then, it would be like the killer sent a Trojan onto Markham's cell phone to cause Google to pull up the incorrect phone number. Only in 1950 you accomplish this by swiping a book and replacing it with the old copy of the book. But our uh, killer would never have been clever enough for something that was as complex as hacking as illustrated by the ridiculous idea of trying to make this into a self-defense case. That's his backup plan, but it's so obviously premeditated. And it's funny that Vance points out the whole dancing thing, which, you know, again, is just kind of adding a unnecessary detail that 
makes it even more clear that he's lying. Fans picking on that, it's kind of like the smallest problem with the case. It's like if you had a case where you had the fingerprints on the gun and an eyewitness account that showed that the killer was at the scene of the crime and had left covered with blood, and you highlighted the fact that he spelled labor the American way, which indicated that he really wasn't British and was therefore the killer. Well, I guess it's Vance showing that even if our killer hadn't made numerous large mistakes, Vance would have caught the small mistakes that might have been missed by the less concerned observer. Listener comments and feedback now, and we have a comment regarding the closing discussion on the Whirl Around murder case. Uh, Raymond writes, I was quite surprised by your revelation regarding the treasure trove of radio transcription disc held by Radio Archives, and that they part with these once they've been transcribed. I'd like to have a disc representative of the Ziv Philo Vance program, such as the one I just heard on your website. Not to play, just to have it. I'm probably the foremost Philo Vance collector on the planet. I immodestly submit. My most prized item is the Clark Agnew painting, which was used for the Dragon Murder Case. Uh, uh, the magazine cover with the first installment, the... Scribner's first edition dust jacket and the dust jacket of the Grosset and Dunlap reprint and even a 1934 foreign language paperback. Now, I want to go ahead and address this part. First of all, uh, sounds like a great collection. Collections that are really detailed are interesting just because they have so many things that you wouldn't think of, even if you've got a casual or pretty good knowledge of the subject matter. Now, I want to be clear, lest that conversation left anyone under a false impression, Radio Archives doesn't currently sell old transcription discs. It's been years and years since I've seen those listed on their website. And what they do have left in terms of transcription discs uh, the physical media, they are donating to a museum. So they don't have those for sale. If you're looking for a transcription disc, you can find those on eBay, but most of the uh, transcription discs on eBay tend to be, at this point, uh, Armed Forces Radio Services music disc. If anyone out there does have a Philo Vance transcription disc they would like to part with, I would be more than happy to connect you with Raymond. Raymond continues, I put on a Philo Vance uh, presentation at the Syracuse Film uh, Convention uh wrote the liner notes for the Radio Archives Philo Vance CD box set, which still can be viewed on the internet at the announcement of the second set, and my K-Scope magazine, one of these having my article on the Philo Vance motion pictures, was subsequently selected by the Xerox Corporation for their university microfilms program. I interviewed Jackson Beck regarding the Ziv Philo Vance program. It was a comedian, Soupy Sales, who kindly gave me his phone number and told me that his Soupy's uh, Philo 
Kvetch was indeed a takeoff on the famous sleuth. Before phoning back, I sent him a complimentary copy of the Citadel Peter Lorre book I co-wrote. So imagine my shock when upon asking him if he'd gotten uh, what I'd sent, he roared angrily, Yes, I got it! And it's garbage, garbage! And hung up on me. I was literally walking around in circles, so taken aback was I. The Lori book was always uh, getting excellent reviews. Well, I got up my nerve and called him again. Upon his answering, and he had a most intimidating voice, I nervously stammered something like, Mr. Beck, you didn't like the Peter Lori book I sent you? Oh, he responded apologetically. I'm so very sorry. I mistook you for a salesman who has been pestering me. I used what he told me in the aforementioned liner notes. Uh, gratefully, Ray. Ray, that is a wonderful story. I think we've all done that. It was probably more prevalent in the days before caller ID, but even still, sometimes you just don't recognize a phone number. Beck definitely had a commanding voice. In fact, he might have had multiple, because his voice had a lot of flexibility. And was such a great talent in that regards. He created characters like Beanie over on The Adventures of Superman, the copy boy at the Daily Planet. He also did voices that were more working class. Uh, and they've kind of worked a bit of his vocal imitation skills into the Philo Vance episodes, and that's been a positive point for the series. But thanks so much for the comment, Raymond, as well as for the story. And now we turn to some comments on the Money Machine murder case. And we have an email from Jonathan in Las Vegas, uh, who writes, Hello Adam, I really enjoyed the Money Machine episode. Being someone who has probably touched more money than anyone else you will ever meet, I listen carefully to, to the show to figure out how the machine worked. After seeing Mission Impossible and other spy shows, I really wondered what the trick was. When Joe said, you can check it out, it's a good bill, I would have immediately asked to see another one to see if the serial numbers were the same or different. Then he said, I've got the paper right here in my pocket. Also impossible, as the paper that money is printed on is a very special blend that is a special concoction of paper and cloth. Whenever a customer gives me a bill for change, I always instinctively snap it and feel it with my fingers. Modern bills now contain holograms and microprinting, which makes counterfeiting not impossible, but almost. Every now and then, counterfeit bills do make their ways into casinos, sometimes right out of the ATMs, believe it or not. If you get stuck with one, hopefully unknowingly, tough luck, you don't get your money back from anyone. A fountain pen? Rubbing it on your thumb? What a clever, low-tech idea. Ballpoint puts that scam out of business for good. Keep up the good work. I enjoy listening to all the gambling shows, as you know, plus all the others. Yours truly, Jonathan. Well, thank you so much. And then we have another comment from a different uh, geographic location over on Facebook. And this comes from Michael, who writes, Hi, Adam. I had a money-making machine when I was a kid. Good to see you can still get them. Greetings from Melbourne, Australia. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Michael. 
And this links over to a YouTube video of a magic moneymaker that was uploaded all the way back in 2007, believe it or not. And the product from Banishing Magic uh, is actually still available, the magic moneymaker. And the way it works is you put a piece of paper in, you feed it through the machine, and a bill comes out the other end. Now, obviously, since they don't want to get prosecuted by the Treasury Department, the imprint does not look like U.S. Uh, legal tender. It's play money. But given that this was around when Michael was a kid, I wonder how long this particular trick has been out there and whether one of the writers might have seen the trick and been inspired to write this episode. At any rate, thank you so much, Michael. It was a fun video, and you can find it on YouTube. I'll try to include it in the show notes. Now it's time to thank our Patreon supporter of the day. And I want to go ahead and thank Kevin. Kevin has been one of our Patreon supporters since August 2022, currently supporting the program at the Detective Sergeant level of $7.14 or more per month. Thank you so much for your support, Kevin. And that will actually do it for today. If you are enjoying this podcast, please follow us using your favorite podcast software. And if you are enjoying this on YouTube, be sure to like the video, subscribe to the channel, and mark the notification bell. All those great things that help our channel to grow, and we are now less than a thousand subscribers away from the big 10,000 mark, so uh, welcome those subscriptions over there. We'll be back next Thursday with another episode of Philo Vance, but join us back here tomorrow for yours truly, Johnny Dollar, where... Johnny Dollar. This is Mr. Oldfield calling, sir. You left word at my office, Mr. Dollar. That's right, Mr. Oldfield. I think I'm going to need an attorney. Divorce? Civil suit? What, Mr. Dollar? Withholding evidence. Murder. Let's take the murder first. Who did it? I don't know, but I'm pretty sure I have the murder weapon in my possession right now. Who was killed? A man named Belden, I think. What do you want me to do, sir? Take my statement, notarize it, give me some legal advice. Where are you? Police station in the pay booth down the hall from Homicide. I'll meet you there in five minutes. I hope you'll be with us then. In the meantime, do send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram. Instagram.com slash Great Detectives from Boise, Idaho. This is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.